Fathers, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for your love, your counsel, your wisdom, your protection, your care for the way that you have provided for us. And so we pray God's blessing on you. We'll pray for fathers in a minute. Just a few announcements. Uh, Tomorrow night is the annual ministries meeting, and so if you're a member here at Willingdon Church, then please do come and let's celebrate what God has done over the past year. That's tomorrow night at 7 p.m. in the chapel. Next Sunday night, um, we will be having a time of worship and prayer. We'll come together as a church to praise God, to pray for the church, to pray for the world, and we encourage you, we urge you to all come. That's next Sunday night at uh, 6.30 here at the church. And I think there's a pulpit coming in a minute. Here it comes. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the joy of gathering in your name, the joy of worshiping you. What a privilege to enter your presence and sing praises to you. Thank you for being a father to us. Thank you for caring for us in so many ways. Often we're unaware of how you are caring for us. Thank you for your love that's steadfast. You are faithful to your word, and we worship you. We thank you for our earthly fathers. We thank you for the many ways that they have reflected your image to us. And we pray that fathers today would be strengthened in their inner being by your Holy Spirit, that they would know your love that is beyond anything that they can imagine, that they would know you as their provider. Lord, I'm a father, and together with many other fathers here, we we realize that so often we fall short. We, We do not love the way we should. We sometimes are distant, sometimes... We are angry. And so, Father, forgive us. And we pray for the transforming work of your Holy Spirit in our lives that we might follow you more faithfully. Father, we pray for those in Orlando who are grieving today. Families, friends, parents who have lost children. We pray for your peace and comfort. We pray that your church in Orlando would be the church and that many that are grieving would hear the good news of who you are, Jesus, and what you came to earth to accomplish for us. Jesus, thank you for taking our sin upon yourself, for dying for us. And so I pray that this day would be a day of comfort and salvation in Orlando. Pray for healing in that city. Pray for healing in our land. Lord, we need your instruction. We need your counsel. We need your guidance. And so we thank you again for revealing yourself to us through your word. And we pray that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit as we open your word, read it. Oh God, may we hear it and know how to live it in our day for your glory. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're taking... uh, a break from the life of Abraham today. We'll get back into Genesis next week. We're in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. The title of the message is Coming Home. Coming Home. 
Where is home for you? How would you describe home? Home is a place where the, where the door is open, where we are welcome, where we know those who live in the home and we are known. We're loved. We're accepted. It's a place of intimacy, of warmth, a safe place. My youngest daughter was going through immigration in Helsinki, Finland the other day, and the immigration officer asked her, so where's home? And she stopped and thought for a minute, hmm, do I say Rovaniemi, where I've I've been studying? Or do I say Montreal, where I studied for four years? Or do I say Surrey, where I think my mom and dad might be living? Or Sao Paulo, where I was born? And the immigration officer said, well, how about Vancouver? She said, okay. Where's home for you? How would you describe home? Where is that place where the doors are open to you, where you are welcome, where you are loved, where you accept, you're accepted, you are, are known? I believe today's passage will help us understand where home is to be for all of us. We're in the Gospel of Mark. Mark, of course, is a revelation of who Jesus is, and it helps us understand what it means to be followers of Jesus. The passage we will read, it's part of a larger section, chapters 11, 12, and 13. And and this section, it begins with a conversation about the temple and the fig tree. And it ends with a conversation about the temple and the fig tree. And right at the heart of these chapters, there's a conversation between a scribe and Jesus. And the scribe comes to Jesus and asks, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answers, The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So to be a disciple is to love God with your whole being, with all that you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does that look like? Near the beginning of this section in chapter 11, Jesus is on a colt and he enters Jerusalem and he's the Messiah. And so entering Jerusalem for him as the Messiah should have been a homecoming. And the day ends in rather anticlimactic fashion. Jesus enters the temple. Mark records that he looked around at everything and that phrase looked around. It's an important phrase for Mark. He uses it six times. What it means is that he made a commanding survey of the temple area. And it's late, so he goes back to Bethany. What has he seen? On the following day, he departs from Bethany and he goes back to Jerusalem and he's hungry. We read in chapter 11, verse 12, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now why is Jesus so upset with a fig tree? It's not the season for figs. He's just on a bad day. You see, throughout the winter in Israel, fig trees 
even though they don't have leaves, even, it's not, even though it's not the time to bear fruit, green buds will appear, green knops. And then after these green buds begin to develop in the spring, the, the leaves will come out and hide the green buds. And so if the fig tree was full of leaves, then it should have been full of green buds. And Jesus lifts up the leaves and doesn't find green buds. You so see, you can eat them. He's hungry. The fig tree appears to be full of green buds, to be fruit-bearing, but it's not. It's deceptive. So he curses it. What does the fig tree represent? Well, it represents the Jewish temple system. It represents Jewish religion as it was at that time. And the temple, of course, is at the heart of the Jewish faith. What he does is a prophetic act. Jesus is looking for the true fruit of worship, of love for God, of love for neighbor, of prayer, of repentance in the temple, and he doesn't find it. When he surveyed the temple, he did not find fruit, not even a green bud, not even a sign of the kingdom. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to religion. Jesus calls us to something very, very different. He does not call us to fruitless religious activity if we are here out of religious routine. It is just something that we do every week. Then we have missed it. That is not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus and the disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. The fig tree has been cursed. What does he do in Jerusalem? Mark chapter 11, verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Where is Jesus? Well, he's on the temple mount. Let's remember how the temple was structured. At the heart of the temple sanctuary was the holy of holies, and only the high priest could enter the holy of holies once a year on the day of atonement. And then as you removed yourself from that sacred space, you would find yourself in the holy place, and only the Levitical priests could enter that area. And as you removed yourself further, you'd be in the court of Israel, the court reserved for Jewish men. And then as you removed yourself a bit further, the court of the Jewish women. And those four divisions, they made up the temple proper, the sanctuary. And around that temple was the court of the Gentiles. The temple was about 150 meters long, 100 meters wide. The court of the Gentiles, that was the largest area. It was an open-air quadrangle. It was about 500 meters long and 350 meters wide. And it was there that the Gentiles could come, the only place where the foreigners could come and they could worship, they could pray, they could observe, and they could learn. 
But it's precisely in that place, that court of the Gentiles, which has become a virtual stock market. The only Jewish temple in the world where there's an unbelievable number of sacrifices being made. That area is now being controlled by inside traders. The religious leaders themselves, they're taking advantage of the foreigner and taking advantage of the Jewish pilgrims that have come. It's not being used for the purpose of worship. It's not being used so that God might be loved or out of love for the neighbor. It's being used for the purposes of the religious leaders for their own gain. Jewish pilgrims have come from afar, from all over the Roman Empire. They should have been coming home. Received as Jewish brothers and sisters, instead what they encounter is exploitation, abuse, extortion. Oxen, sheep, doves are being sold. You see, those that came from afar depended on the religious leaders to provide the sacrifices. They needed to exchange their foreign currency into shekels so that they could pay the temple tax. And as they come home to the temple, the heart of the Jewish faith, they're being violated. I left home at 18 to pursue further studies. And for the better part of 26 years, I did not return to live in Canada. Even after returning back to Canada, I spent the following 10 years traveling a lot. And so it wasn't unusual for me to be gone for a number of years and then to get on a plane in another airport somewhere in the world. And if that was an Air Canada flight, when I saw the maple leaf and entered the plane and kind of smelled, you know, the scent of the plane, I thought, hmm, feels a bit like home. I'd get on the plane and fly to... YVR, Vancouver International Airport, and coming through immigration, even though immigration is not the greatest experience, I would think, hmm, pulled out my passport, feels a bit more like home. My parents lived in Chilliwack for some time, and so I'd get in the car and drive down the number one, and I could do this with my eyes closed, you know, down the number one, over the Vetter Canal Bridge, veer off at Old Yale Road, turn right at Chadsey, left on South Sumas, 41979, I'm home. And the doors were open, and I was welcome. Now just imagine if the neighbors had gathered for a collective garage sale around the house. And in order for me to get in the house, I had to buy something from them. (laughs) And not only that, in order to get into the house to speak with my father, I had to pay a house tax. And I'm carrying foreign currency and there's an exchange booth and I have to go over there and be ripped off in order to pay the house tax so I can get in and speak to my father. Well, what the Jewish pilgrims were experiencing was far, far worse. If there was any place in the world where they were to feel at home, feel safe, a place of rest, a place to be in their heavenly father's presence, it was the temple in Jerusalem. And it's precisely there that they're being ripped off, that they're being abused. And exploded. exploited. And for those foreigners that had come to experience what the Jewish people experienced in Jerusalem, to be in the Father's presence, to worship and to pray and to learn, there they were being obstructed, excluded. The religious leaders, instead of doing business with God, instead of ushering people into God's presence, they're taking advantage of the vulnerable. 
So Jesus clears the court of the Gentiles in righteous indignation. He turns over the tables of the money changers. He drives out the animal dealers. And what does he cry out? Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? He quotes Isaiah 56 verse 7. Isaiah 56 is a chapter that talks about the extension of God's salvation to all peoples, that foreigners, exiles, Gentiles, eunuchs will be able to come to the holy mountain and worship. Isaiah 56 verse 6. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, And holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And so all peoples are to be welcome at the temple. At the Father's house. At whose house? Well, if you look at John chapter 2, which narrates this cleansing story, Jesus says, Do not make my Father's house a house of trade. A house of what? This is to be a house of prayer. It's, they're speaking trade language in here? Commerce language? The first temple, the first temple was built by Solomon. And you can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapters 5 through 7. And Solomon, he dedicates that temple in worship and prayer. And as he begins to pray, he prays to the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And he thanks God for his steadfast love, thanks him for being ever faithful, for keeping his promises. And then he says, Lord, if your people, if If your people sin against their neighbor and repent, if there's famine or plague in the land and it's because of sin and they repent, if they're taken captive because of sin and they repent, if they go to battle and lose the war because of sin, but they repent, then Lord, hear their prayer. Hear their prayer. And then surprisingly, he prays, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 32. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So Lord, when your people pray, when the foreigner comes and prays, then Lord, hear, hear. And as Solomon finishes his prayer, fire descends from heaven and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. The priests cannot remain there. God dwelling among his people and the people, they bow down and they worship and they give thanks. You see, the language of the house is worship and repentance and thanksgiving and prayer. Then in the night, Solomon is sleeping and the Lord appears to him and says, I have heard your prayer. And if my people who are called by my name 
humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So the language of the house, it's worship, it's repentance, thanksgiving, prayer. And the Father's heart is to respond to the prayers of his people, the humble prayers of his people, to forgive, to heal. Jesus doesn't call us to religion. He calls us to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus calls us to be a house of prayer for all nations. And who can come to this house? Well, all people can come. All are welcome. Whether they believe or not, they are welcome to come and to worship and to pray, to be in the Father's presence, to have their prayers heard. That was the purpose of the temple. But it had been perverted into a den of thieves. The Sanhedrin had become a den of robbers. The temple, it was deceptive, as deceptive as that leafy fig tree that appeared to have fruit, to be fruit-bearing, but it wasn't. The disciples remember in John chapter 2, Psalm 69, and they say, zeal for your house will consume me. What was Jesus zealous for? Well, he was zealous for the Father's presence. He wants to restore his Father's house to its original purpose. To be that house of prayer for all nations. For all to come and to abide in God's presence and to know him as Abba, Father, as Daddy. All who come to pray to sense the presence of God and to come under his blessing. And those who surrender to God. Those who who humble themselves before him to become children of Abraham, children of God. Jesus calls us to be zealous for the Father's presence just as he was. Jesus calls us to be zealous for the Father's presence just as he was. To have faith in God. To pray and to forgive. In Mark chapter 11, verse 20, we read, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever, pray, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that Your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And so in a prophetic act, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus has cursed the fig tree. Cursed it because, as he says to his disciples in Mark chapter 12, verse 24, the religious leaders, they know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. They don't know the God of the scriptures. They don't know the heart of the Father. And then in chapter 13, verse 24, he declares that that temple that Herod is building will be completely destroyed because it's a fig tree without fruit. Now, how do we avoid such a terrible end? Well, by heeding the words of the Lord. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. To listen to the words of Jesus here in Mark chapter 11. To have faith in God. 
and to pray with faith. The, the words here of Jesus, they remind us of Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, where the Father says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And to not forget to forgive. If we need to forgive, then to forgive so that our prayers will be heard. How does it apply to us? Next weekend, we'll have a worship service and we'll pray. Does it mean a new program to be a house of prayer for all nations? No. No. To be a house of prayer, what it means for me is to be a person that lives in the presence of God, that yearns for the presence of God, that prays for the filling of the Holy Spirit, that walks in the Spirit. And when people come, then the doors of my heart are open. I'm ready to pray and to love and to share the Father's heart and to bless. And for you to be that house of prayer, to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, to receive the Father's heart for people, to share love, to pray and to bless. Every small group meeting, a house of prayer. Every large gathering at Willingdon, a house of prayer. The house of prayer for all nations is an individual believer or a family of faith surrendered to Jesus where the Father dwells by his Spirit. He's pleased to dwell by his Spirit. A home where all people are welcomed and blessed. And the language of the house is prayer. My wife, she worked for a, a home for women coming out of substance abuse. And one evening, the women gathered, and Judy and some friends, they, they surrounded these women in prayer. And as they prayed for the women coming out of substance abuse, they began to weep. They started to cry, and some cried uncontrollably. They just couldn't stop weeping because they were hearing words of love, maybe for the first time in their lives, words of love, words of affirmation, hearing the Father's heart that they had been created for a purpose, maybe for the first time not wearing those labels of abuse, of drug addiction, and failure, understanding that God actually loved them, that he had a purpose for them, being invited to life change to a different future. Why did sinners like hanging out with Jesus? Jesus, God on earth, holy. And yet sinners like to be with him. I believe it's because Jesus carried the Father's heart. <laughs> he was full of compassion. He saw people as the Father would see them. People touched him and he turned. People called out to him and he went. The doors of his heart were open. He befriended people. He prayed for them. He blessed them. He told them who they could be in the kingdom. He called them to repentance. He called them to life change. But he reminded them of who they were created to be from before the foundation of the world. And those that chose to follow him found home. They found home. May we be people that direct each other, others that don't know Jesus, to home. Home with God. May we be a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. Let's stand to pray. So, Father, we just humble ourselves before you and... Again, Lord, we just thank you for, for coming. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you <clears throat> for sending your Holy Spirit to live within us. 
And we realize, Lord, that so often we do not hunger for your presence. We love other things much more. There are many days when we do not love our neighbor as we should. Sometimes what distracts us is just the clutter of everyday life. Lord, sometimes we're not forgiving. Sometimes we don't extend grace. Sometimes we need to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters. Sometimes we lack faith. We don't believe that life could be different. So, Father, forgive us. Forgive us. We invite you to work in our lives individually, families, as a church. Oh, God, do your transforming work in us. We ask that you share your heart with us for your people and for the nations. May we live for your glory. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.